We hope you'll be blessed and inspired and challenged and motivated by this fresh word from Christian Heritage Church. And then finally, one more note of housekeeping. Uh, Immediately after the service this morning, there will be a support group in the Fellowship Hall for all Seminole, Gator, and Sooner fans. There will be no food, just lots of Kleenex. All right. Now that we got that nonsense behind us, let's turn to the Word of God, all right? Living in Dangerous Times is the series we're in and what we're talking about. And I really believe, as I mentioned last week, that when we live in this life, there will be answers that we won't find in the world system, in the world's wisdom. There will be things you want to know why that you'll not be able to find on Google. Siri, no matter how great it is, will never be able to give you those answers. But the Word of God will always give you those answers. Matter of fact, when you're walking in difficult times or dangerous places, if you'll open the Word and begin to read and study and search, you'll find that God has already addressed that in someone else's life. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Matter of fact, you can almost insert your name into that passage and make it apply directly to you. That's the power of the Word of God. People want to minimize God's Word. People want to say some of it is not infallible or authoritative. But I'm here to tell you that every letter and every word and every line and every sentence and every paragraph in the book, in the Word of God is inspired and authoritative through God the Holy Spirit. We need to remember that. The Word always has answers for us when we don't know what to do. Kind of reminds me of the guy who was convinced his wife needed a hearing aid. So he called his doctor, who was a good friend, and he said, I can't just say you need a hearing aid, so how can I kind of do a test and then warm her up to coming to see you? The doctor said, well, say something to her from 40 feet away, and if she doesn't respond, go to 30 feet. If she doesn't respond, go to 20 feet. If she doesn't respond, go to 10 feet. If she doesn't respond, speak it in her ear. So the next evening, she was fixing dinner in the kitchen. He was sitting in the family room, and he said, honey, what's for dinner? No response. So he moved about 10 feet closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No response. Moved about 10 feet closer. Honey, what's for dinner? No response. He moved 10 feet away. Honey, what's for dinner? No response. Finally, he was right beside her, speaking in her ear. Honey, what's for dinner? She said, for the fifth time, chicken. I don't know why, but the women are really laughing at that. I just don't get it, do you guys? It just doesn't resonate with me at all. We have the same problem in our household. She just doesn't hear me. I just don't get it. We're living in dangerous times, and often there's a high risk and a high probability that those times can be misconstrued or misinterpreted. Often there's a high risk and probability that God is blamed for things that God did not do. And we see that happening around us today. I mean, think about the events of just the last couple of months. Earthquakes, hurricanes, earthquakes, more earthquakes, more hurricanes, more hurricanes. Four already to date in this season. And then we have the shootings in Vegas last Sunday night. Racial tensions at an all-time high. These are dangerous times. Seems that murder, mayhem, violence reigns in America, but not just America, around the world. 
You know, thinking about that Vegas thing, we see the responses of those who were there and those who were victims and their families. And yes, we should be praying for those individuals. We should be praying for the peace, the grace, the mercy of God to touch their hearts and touch their lives, for healing for those who were injured, for a spiritual balm in Gilead to be applied to their lives, for the oil and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to fill their hearts and to touch their minds. Unfortunately, we're not doing that. Unfortunately, people are leveraging it for political agendas. People are leveraging it so they can push their position. There's a whole new debate on gun control one more time. Deeper community action is really the answer is what they're telling us. But I want you to think about something else this morning. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Why does a loving God allow such hatred in the world? And how long is it going to go on? Will it ever stop? And will it ever end? You see, the man, there was a man in the scripture by the name of Habakkuk. He's one of the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. He prophesied in Judea and Jerusalem in the 7th century B.C. He had witnessed the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel, and now he's seeing the Babylonian armies descend upon the kingdom of Judah. He knew that they would ravage Judah, they would destroy Judah, they would destroy Jerusalem, they would kill people, innocents would die. And in that place and in that situation... He began to have a conversation with God. Matter of fact, if you read the first two chapters of Habakkuk, and I encourage you to do that this afternoon, you'll see he had an in-depth, detailed conversation with God. Do you know that in difficult times, the greatest thing we can do is turn to God and listen to what he has to say? Let him speak into our hearts and speak into our lives. Let him once again anchor us, ground us, root us. And the truth that our God never changes, that He loves, He cares, He's concerned. We're living in a dispensation of grace and mercy. Let God speak into your life. An army had invaded the homeland of Habakkuk. Innocents were going to die. And he was looking for a logical answer in an illogical world. Have you seen that in the last week? People looking for logical answers in an illogical world? It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to define what's happening in the world today through the wisdom and the logic of mankind. Sociologists, psychologists, psychiatrists will never be able to explain what's happening. What possessed that man, Stephen Paddock, to set up on the 32nd floor and kill so many people? I don't know. Except I do know there's a very real enemy whose job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And I do know God wasn't behind that. The enemy was. Come back to center and understand it. Look with me at Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2, 3, and 13. From the New International Version, it says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, and you don't listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Has anyone ever asked questions just like that? Isn't it amazing that in dangerous times we can turn to the Word and we see ourselves in the Scripture? Read it one more time, verses 1 and 2. How long must I cry for help? And you're not listening. Or cry out to you violence, but you don't save. 
Why do you make me see iniquity? Why are you making me live in this environment? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Habakkuk's prophecy was directed at a world that was just about to be completely engulfed in flames. A world that was hell-bent for disaster. A world that looked much like our world today. A world that was very similar to how we're living right now. The Babylonians were coming. And the Babylonians were ruthless. The Babylonians spared no quarter. The Babylonians cut everything by the sword. They didn't care, rich or poor, young or old, educated or illiterate, you're going to die. And if you didn't die, you're going to be a slave. That's the future that Habakkuk was looking at. It was bleak to say the least. It was troubling to everyone involved. And he was looking for answers. Faithful people just like Habakkuk were wondering, what is God doing? Where is God at? See, that's the questions he's posing to God in the first two chapters. What are you up to? What are you doing? I can't figure it out. Where are you? Why don't you intervene? Has anyone ever said those words? It's okay to acknowledge you have. You see, you need to understand it's okay to have conversations with God and bear your heart to Him. It's okay to say, I don't get this. I don't understand why. Because this is the reason God will always come around and give you hope in your hopelessness. He'll always build your faith in your despair. He'll always show you there is light and His name is Jesus. Oh, say the name. Say the name. Say the name and let Him help you and come to your aid and your resources. Habakkuk was thinking in his mind, now I know Israel's history. God, you gave us this land. This is our possession. Are you now taking it away? And then he began that dialogue with God, the first two chapters. Questions, responses. Questions, responses. Questions, responses. You see, Habakkuk was living in a place where he wanted to see God do something. And you know what God said in response to that? You can read it in chapter 2. He said, I'm going to do things you're not going to believe. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to hear that. You look around, you say, where is God? What is he doing? And God is saying, I'm going to do things you're not going to believe. I'm going to use the events of evil, the tragedies of humanity, the horrible violence wrecked by Satan. And I'm going to do things you're not going to believe. I'm going to turn hearts and lives back to me. When I read Habakkuk, you know what I see? I see a frustrated man, a frustrated prophet, a frustrated leader. Has anyone here been frustrated recently? God, why aren't you doing anything? God, why are you silent? That's where Habakkuk was at. Do you understand you can plug your name in this book and it's speaking to you and me today? God, where are you? Why are you silent? Why aren't you doing something? You gave this to us. Are you going to take it away? I'm frustrated. I don't understand. I don't know. It makes no sense. And on and on we could go. He's kind of like Jonah, another one of the minor prophets who too was frustrated. Frustrated that God sent him down to Nineveh. Frustrated because God wanted to save Nineveh. They weren't worthy of salvation. They needed to die in Jonah's book. They weren't worthy of grace and mercy. They needed judgment, fire in Jonah's book. 
He tried to run from it. You know the story. God interrupted the journey, caused him to be swallowed by a fish, spit out on the beach, and he finally went to Nineveh. But he still had a bad attitude. Jonah's like a lot of us today. Okay, God, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. But I'm not going to be happy about it. They don't deserve it. You want to save Muslims? They don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that God doesn't dictate his actions by our feelings? That's pretty good stuff. Somebody ought to write that down. God doesn't dictate his actions by our feelings. Our opinions don't matter in the court of the Most High. We need to understand that God loves everyone. For God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. God is long-suffering so that that will occur and that will happen. I'm thrilled when I read the reports of Jesus appearing to people in the Middle East and them turning their hearts to them and turning away from a false God and a false ideology and a false religion that gives no hope and only brings bondage. That's what Islam is. You realize that, don't you? I know I shouldn't be saying that. It's not popular because we're going to go along to get along. You're in the wrong church. We don't do that here. There is still one way. And it's through the Son, Jesus Christ, and only one way to the Father. I'm thrilled when I hear those things, but so often we're just like Jonah. We're just like Habakkuk, frustrated because of what he's doing or not doing. Jonah went ahead and he preached to Nineveh, repent or you're going to be destroyed. And lo and behold, they all repented. And then you know what he did? He got mad. I didn't want him to repent. I wanted him to die. Have you ever been that way? Well, maybe not for a whole city, but that dude, he doesn't deserve your grace and mercy. I don't want that person in my church. They shouldn't be here at this altar. We don't want their kind in this place. I don't really know what all that means. I just know it's ungodly and it's from the pit of hell. And I know I've heard it. In Christian circles. I'm not saying I've heard it in this church, but I've heard it in Christian circles. Can I tell you, church, it's time to get your mind, your focus, your attention off of what you see onto what you have heard. And the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. His grace is abundant and free and open to everyone who believes. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter the culture, the language, the religious orientation. All that matters is they turn to Him. Racial tensions are at an all-time high in the United States because we have played this silly game. That somehow white people are better than black people or Native American people or Chinese people. Can I tell you, that's a lie from the pit. The Satan has been perpetrating it for years. God has no part of that. Get it out of your thinking. All men are equal. All men are equal. All men are equal. Doesn't matter where you come from. So many things frustrate us today, just as they did Habakkuk and even Jonah of old. No doubt in my mind, Habakkuk was almost dumbfounded with the actions of his day. Evil thrived, not only thrived, it wasn't just hiding in the dark alleys on Saturday night. Evil was happening in the broad daylight. It was right out in the open. It wasn't disguised, it wasn't cloaked, it wasn't hidden. It was out there for everybody to see. Does that not make you think of our nation? It's out there for everybody to see. Everything's on display. 
How long would God allow this to continue? How long before God stepped in and stopped the mess? See, in Habakkuk says you're being silent. Sometimes when we're asking these same questions, we're hearing silence from God. But we need to remember as it reminded Habakkuk, I have a plan, I have a plan, and I will balance the scale. The example of Habakkuk encourages you and me as believers to wait on the Lord, to recognize that in every evil encounter, God has the, and I said this a couple weeks ago, the genius to turn it into good. He has the genius to take that evil and transform it into good. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. That's what we believe. God makes all things work together for good to those who are the called according to His purpose. That's what the Word says. So when you're walking through dangerous times and evil days, recognize something good is about to happen. God is coming. He's on the scene. He's on His way to bring you an answer. I have an acquaintance who, in 1999, was the pastor of the Assemblies of God Church in Littleton, Colorado. Many of you referenced that year in that city by the Columbine shootings. It's one of the first mass shootings ever to plague this country. Rachel Scott, many of you know that name, was one of the young ladies that was killed that day, Columbine High School. She was a member of Bill's church. He officiated her funeral because of that. So many people came in. He had the opportunity to minister life in that place of darkness and evil when no one understood, when it made no sense, when so many were killed for no reason. He was able to bring hope. People got saved at Rachel Scott's funeral. God has the ability to bring good from evil. That's the kind of genius God is. He can turn it around. Listen, it's still happening today, and I don't understand why evil people always take aim at innocence, but they do. They do. So if you're looking for justice in these kinds of situations, you're going to be disappointed. But if you look to Jesus, He will never disappoint you. He will never let you down. He will never fail you. He will never sell you short. No matter how hard you seek a logical answer, in dangerous times, you'll never find it. It's not there. But if you will simply wait on God, anticipate His reply, you're going to hear from Him. The problem in moments like these is a problem of focus. We see 59 people killed, over 500 injured. We see Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Maria, Hurricane Irma, devastating, destruction everywhere. I was talking to the Cabasas just before service this morning. His brother worked for FEMA in Puerto Rico. He died of a heart attack when he was trying to help people. That makes no sense. It makes no sense. The islands smell like death because of the carnage, the destruction, the dead animals, the lack of water. People are dying every day in the Caribbean because of these hurricanes. There's no answer for it. All we can do is change our focus from what we see to what we hear. Do you understand? The Spirit speaks. It's what we hear. God has spoken. It's what we hear. And as we hear His Word, we gain reference, and our focus then turns from what's evil to what is beautiful in God. Three chapters of despair and silence in Habakkuk. 
disappointment. Then suddenly God shifts this guy's focus. Suddenly he stops looking at the Babylonians that are coming. He stops looking at the dangerous day in which he's living. He stops looking at the peril that's on the horizon. And he begins to look at God. Oh, come on, church, I've come with a word for you this morning. It's time to shift your focus. It's time to change your conversation. So when someone is talking to you about the dangerous days in which we live, don't be looking at the events out there, but begin speaking the word of God. Begin proclaiming and prophesying, our God is mighty. He is able. His grace never fails. His compassions and mercies are new every morning. Oh, come on, don't buy in and jump on the negative stuff. But give them an answer. Give them hope. Give them life that comes from the Word of God. From the promise of Jesus Christ. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Look at that with me, please. Put that on the screen, if you would, Wendy. Habakkuk, after two and a half, almost three chapters of complete despair, finally shifts his focus. And this is what he says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grape on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Let me translate that for you. When the stores are bare and the gas stations are empty, when the hurricanes has ravaged the fields and the trees are barren, When the landscape looked like it's absolutely been a war zone and nothing of any good is coming from it. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Oh, somebody get that in your spirit. If the fig trees don't bud, if the grapes have, the vines have no grapes, if they always fail, if the fields produce no crops, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, the God my Savior. I will be joyful in Him. That's the shift in focus we've got to come to today. We've got to recognize it's not what's out there. It's what's in here that keeps me. It's the assurance and the promise that I serve a faithful God. And in dangerous times, I can speak the name. Speak the name. Tom, come back. Speak the name of Jesus. And when I do, God's going to come in and come down. God's going to bring an answer. God's going to bring hope. I'll hear it one more time. Though the fig tree does not bud. There are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Because that's the way we shift our focus. Verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. He enables me to tread on heights for the... And then it concludes it, on my stringed instruments. In other words, he's playing this as a song to God. His absolute despair turns to praise when he changes his focus. Oh, come on, folks. Some of you in this room need to change your focus. You need to recognize God is still God. He's on the throne. He has a plan. He will balance the scales. Justice will occur. God will make it right. God will make it right. It's not activism that's going to change our country. 
It's not community groups that's going to change our country. It's not legislation that's going to change our country. It's the people of God standing up and saying, I've got an answer. I've got a word. I've heard from the Lord. And though the fig trees do not bud, yet will I rejoice in the Lord my Savior. Because He is my strength. He is my... David said it the same way in Psalm 37. He said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Read that entire chapter. It's the context of famine and destruction sweeping across the land. And David said, that may be what you see, but let me tell you what I've heard. I've heard the Lord is faithful. Even when I'm faithless, the Lord supplies when there is nowhere to go. The Lord never leaves me. He never forsakes me. He walks with me, talks with me. Oh, I hear his voice speaking into my spirit. And I've come to tell you, I've been young. I'm now old, but he has never forsaken the righteous, and his seed are never begging bread. Oh, somebody get it in your spirit today. You got to know and understand it's time to rejoice. It's time to rejoice. Come on, change your focus. Quit concentrating and deliberating and worrying over what you see and start concentrating on what you have heard. Start deliberating and meditating upon the promise of the living God who will never leave you and never forsake you. In Habakkuk's place of despair, his focus changed and he lifted a song of praise. He began to exalt the Lord. Corey Tinboom, most of you know, was a survivor of the Holocaust. And as you know from World War II history, Coming to the close of that war as the Germans were being defeated and the, imminent, the end was imminent and near, many, many, many Nazis fled to Argentina for refuge. They took new identities, established homes and families, and began to live there. Some were caught and prosecuted, others were not. Corey Tinboom, years after World War II, was speaking in Argentina. She made this statement. There is no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still. And then she took one of those latch hook rugs, showed the back of it. It was nothing but a bunch of knots and thread. It was ugly. It made no sense. And she said, we need to understand life is just like the back of this rug. Events occur that make no sense. There's no beauty in it. And then she flipped it around and it was a beautiful brown throw rug on the other side. But she said, this is what God does when we experience His love, His mercy, His grace, and His power. That in itself is a great story, but it's not the end. Because that night in the audience was a former Nazi who had been in one of the concentration camps directly responsible for the death of her sister. And when she made the statement, there's no pit so deep that the love of God is not deeper still, that former Nazi came to the front, knelt in front of her and asked her to forgive him and asked God to forgive him. Oh, friend, listen to me. If you and I will be the answer, if you and I will be the light, if you and I will quit chiming in with all the crazy media personalities, if we'll quit quoting all the things we read on Facebook and begin quoting the Word of God, we are the answer. We are the light. We have a reason for the hope that is within us. 
You're looking for logic in evil times. It's not there. You're not going to find it. All you can see is that in the midst of evil, God is good. God is, oh, somebody say it with me. God is good. God is good. All the time, God is good. God is good all the time. We've got to get that in our spirits. Yes, we pray for people who have been victimized. Yes, we pray for their families. Yes, we pray for their recovery. Yes, we pray for their mental well-being. Yes, we pray for their spiritual condition. But most of all, we proclaim in the face of despair, I'm going to give him praise. In the face of despair, I'm going to give him praise. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk said to God, why is this happening? Matter of fact, if you read verse, 19, or verse 3 of Habakkuk 1 from the message, he says, why do you force me to look at evil? To stare trouble in the face day after day. That's a commentary on our society and our culture. He asked God the kind of question so many of us have pondered and wrestled with. When all we see is evil around us, many have even been touched by those scars. Carolyn lost a son to evil, murdered. Murdered. Others have went through the same very thing. We've been scarred by evil. So, but we cannot be trapped in a prison cell of our own making because we focus on the evil rather than focus on God. So when the fig tree isn't budding, when there are no grapes on the vine, when the olive trees are not producing, when there's no sheep in the field or cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord my Savior. Why? Because He is faithful. He never forgets. He never turns us loose. I've come to tell you this morning, in evil times, there is an opportunity for the peace of God to rule and reign. For the peace of God to be complete in the heart of His people and for His people to speak words of life and light to those around us. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Ushers, would you prepare to service in communion? Worship team, come back. I want you to say it, sing it, speak the name one more time in just a second. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're in this room this morning and you're in a place of despair. Hopelessness has overcome you. Hopelessness has overcome you. You feel like there are no answers, there's no way out. But today, God has used me to speak hope to you. And you want to respond to Him and you want to say, Lord, I want your touch in my life. I want your forgiveness in my life. I want your grace and your mercy in my life. That's you right where you sat today. Would you just slip up hand and say, pray for me. Across this room, yes, yes, others. Across this room today, slip up your hand and say, that's me. That's me. Yes, sir. Others. That's me. That's me. Oh, we serve a God of hope in the age of despair. Anyone else, you'll join these who've raised their hands. That's me. I need hope in that place of despair. Stand with me across the room this morning, everyone. I'm going to pray for these three who raised their hands. And right where they stand, God's going to touch them and minister to their heart and to their life. And if you wish to respond, I encourage you to do so in just a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these three individuals who feel overwhelmed by despair, but who believe there is peace in God. 
There is hope in God that God is well able, well able to help us in this difficult time. I bind that spirit of fear. I pray that the spirit of peace would fill their hearts and to fill their lives. I pray, Lord, that their focus would shift from the external and what they see to the internal and what they hear. Let the Word of God rise up within them because it is quick and sharp and powerful. Let the Word of God rise up within them and the hope of God come alive in them. Change their hearts, change their lives today. Let them leave with a spring in their step and a song in their heart because they've encountered you today. Because you've made a difference in their lives this morning. I pray it in the name that's above every name. In Jesus' name. Come on, sing it out with Tom. Just say the name. Say the name. Sing it out. Say the name of Jesus. Say the name of Jesus. Say the name. night of Jesus life he gave hope he gave hope in the upper room the day prior to his betrayal and then his crucifixion the following day he said to his disciples take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me he's saying that every time you hold that wafer Every time you receive and accept and participate in the elements of communion, you're saying there's hope in dark times. There's hope for my world. There's hope for my life. There's hope for my society. Because Jesus Christ gave himself up for sinful men just like you and me. When we were still enemies with God, he died for us to redeem us and reconcile us. So you hold that wafer in your hand that speaks hope. It speaks life. It speaks if you're sick, you can be healed through the blood of Jesus Christ. By His stripes, we are healed. So regardless of your need today, you have hope in your hand. Would you right now just 
lift that wafer to him and say, thank you, Father, for the hope that is within me. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing your body to be broken and bruised and beaten beyond recognition so that I could have hope today. Thank you that in the darkest night of your life, you are speaking hope to me down through the generations. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you take that wafer as a thanksgiving for his offering? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The next day he was tried and beaten and then crucified. Spikes were driven through his wrists and his ankles. A sword pierced his side. He was mocked, humiliated, shamed, and embarrassed. So that he could say to you and I, when you think there's no way out, remember they killed me, but on the third day I rose again from the dead. Oh, come on, folks. Today we're not just remembering his crucifixion. Every time we take the elements of communion, we're remembering the resurrection. We're remembering he is no longer dead. He is alive. The grave couldn't hold him. Satan could not bind him. Every force of darkness could not overcome him. Today we are here to rejoice because when there are no figs that bud, when there are no grapes on the vine, when there are no crops in the field, when there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the straw, yes, I will rejoice in the Lord because of his crucifixion and resurrection. Would you lift that cup with me, Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for living for me. And today I thank you because we always walk in victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. When times are dark, the light of Jesus is brighter. Brighter. So as we take this cup this morning, let us shine as lights in a darkened world. Let us shine. Fill our mouth and our mind with words to speak and address those that are in confusion and chaos. And to show that even in dangerous times, there is a loving God who loved us so much that he freely and willingly sent his son who loved us so much that he freely and willingly gave up his life so that we could be free. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. And thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope that is in me this morning. We give you praise. Would you take that cup with me? Our prayer is that God will take this word and plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. Father, we pray for your great wisdom to infiltrate this listener, draw them to you, and take them gently down the road to their next destination in life. And if you're in need of a home church, we invite you to join us at Christian Heritage Church on Shera Road in Tallahassee, Florida, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. For a worship service where the presence of God has first place, you're invited to Christian Heritage Church. Sunday morning service is at 10.30, Wednesday evening at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For all the latest information, visit our website, chctoday.com.